This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. Morning. Welcome to RSCC. It is awesome to be with you guys. Can you give the worship team a round of applause here? Hey, we, we try to, I, I try to get them to hold off from Christmas music as long as we possibly can. So next week we'll start our Christmas series. It's called The Signs of Christmas. So we'll be, we'll be looking at all that. But today it is week nine in the final week of our paparazzi series. We have made it nine long weeks. So let's put our hands together for that. That's a long, long time. Nine weeks on the book of James, and we finally will end today, and I'm excited about what we're going to look at, because this, the way this letter ends is not, it's my kind of letter. It doesn't end with some, you know, hugs and kisses, X's and O's. He, he, he ends his letter the way James would end it, with a call of action. So we have been in this book of James, and it has been all about living out our faith, and we have talked about so many different things, and Adam's preaching this series, and we've, had, we've talked about so many things, but it comes down to this. Show me your faith. If you have faith in Jesus, your life should have transformation, that your life should have action. And, and that's kind of what the standard that James has called us to. So that's the standard we're to live by. As Christians in this world, James says, listen, there's a world that is watching you, watching how you live, watching how you treat one another, live out your faith, because the world's watching. And, and it's such an important call today. It was an important call back then in James's time. And, and so that's the standard. He says, if you're a Christian, here's the standard. Your life will have action. Your faith will have action. And, and I want to say this. It's not about perfection. You hear this a lot. It's about progress. That there will never be a point in your life, in my life, where we'll get to where James has called us to be. There, there will always be areas to grow. There will always be things to work on in our lives. And, and, and we will continue continually need to let God change us and shape us. It, it's basically what sanctification is, and that's a word where the God is continually changing us and shaping us and making us more and more like Christ, but we're never going to be in product in, in our lifetime. So James is like pleading with us during this letter, continually let God change you, and as God is changing you, your faith will lead to action. And that's kind of the summary of the book. Let God change you, and as God is changing you, your faith will lead to action. And today we're going we're to look at two verses at the very end of his book, at the very end of his letter. And, and again, it, it's not this like, you know, how Paul writes, I love you guys so much, I'm praying for you, and like blessings. James doesn't do that. There, there's no final greetings. It, it's just two verses, and they're two powerful verses, and we're going to read them right now. So James chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, these are James's final words in this letter, and this is what he says, my brothers and sisters... If one of you have wandered from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And it ends. That is the end of the letter. Again, it's kind of a weird ending. Like he's like, hey, listen, here's what I want to tell you, and goodbye. And he doesn't say goodbye. He just says, Here, here's what's going on. And if you think about it, though, it's a perfect way for James to end the letter. It's a call to action. He says, listen, there's people among you who are reading this letter in the 2021. There are people among you who sit next to you or who have sat next to you who wander. And here's what I want you to do. He goes, they, they've wandered from the truth. And we'll get to that in a second. I want you to go back and get them. And it's a fitting ending because if you think about this entire book, this entire letter that he wrote, 
It has been ways for us not to wander. He starts in chapter one. He says, listen, you're going to face trials. You're going to have hard times. Don't let those trials make you lose your faith. And then chapter one, he also talks about, he's like, if you have a real faith, make sure you're living out your faith because faith is best lived out. And then in chapter two, I believe he talks a little bit more about the power of your tongue and how your words matter. And then again, he says, you know, faith without deeds is dead. Like, and he says, you got to live out your faith. And then he, he talks about not treating people differently based on their social status or how they look or what you can get out of them. And, and then he talks about being patient. And we talked about that last week. And he says, remember to make sure to live in today. Make sure that you're praying. And he says all these things and all of these, these things that he has given us for five chapters to do have been ways to make sure you don't wander and I don't wander. But there's a real reality, he says, that listen, some of you reading this letter, some of you hearing what I'm saying, some of you sitting in churches in 2021, he's like, there's a possibility that you have wandered and that you know someone who has wandered. And, and what, what does that mean they've wandered? And it's simply that, that they have walked away from the will of God and the word of God. They've walked away from living out of the life that God's called them to. They, they don't live out their faith. They may sit in chairs. They may go to church, but they've wandered. They, they no longer, you know, live for God's will or, or the word of God. And, and they've, we've argued and scholars have argued forever what, what, what type of person this wanderer and this and that. that. And we're not going to get in that conversation today. But here's what's really important today. James says there's people who have walked away from the will of God and the word of God. And those who wander, for whatever reason, they should matter to us. So whoever has wandered, he's like, listen, uh, we're not going to debate why they've wandered, but whatever, whatever reason they've wandered, they, they matter to us, and, and they should matter to us. And he says, that, listen, it's not that they just wandered away from a church, or they left a group, or they left a small group, or a Sunday school class. He's like, no, they, they, they've wandered from something so important. And here's what he says in, in verse 19. He goes, they have wandered from the truth. What have they wandered from? The, the what? They wandered from the truth. What does Jesus say about the truth? Jesus says in John 14, he goes, I am the way and the, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So what James is saying is truth is a person. And the person that they have wandered from is Jesus. It's not just a mindset. They've wandered from the truth, and they've wandered from Jesus, and it's so important. And he goes, and you need to love them enough. You need to love the people in your life enough to go and get them and turn them back. Why? Because they've wandered from the truth. They've wandered from Jesus in 2018, there was this story, and I remember it like it happened yesterday, because it was bizarre. And it lasted about 18 days. I'm going to have some pictures on the screen in a second. About 18 days, and it was about this coach in Thailand, and his players, they got stuck in a, in a cave. You guys remember that story? And they were stuck for 18 days. And so what happens is the coach, and I don't know why they did this, but to celebrate one of the players' birthday, they went to a cave. I wasn't going to any cave with any coach I've ever had, but apparently these players trusted their coach. So they went to this cave, and it was in the middle of monsoon season. So as they're in this underground cave, you can kind of see how it works. It starts to rain, and the cave starts to fill. So you got the exit over here, and then you got where they were over here. So now they can't leave. They're stuck. And it took rescuers nine days just to find them. Not, not to save them, to find them. And they said it was like finding a needle in a haystack. Like it was by a miracle that they even found the, these, this team and the, the coach. Like it was like one, like they said, we, we could do this a thousand times and maybe never find them. But they had this situation where 
this, this, it was 2.5 miles from the exit. And most, most, most of it was underwater. So they couldn't swim, right? They couldn't swim it. They needed scuba gear. They needed divers to rescue them. So they had to come up with this mission. And about a thousand people kind of drew this plan, they said. And then it's reported another thousand kind of was there for whatever they needed. And then there was about 90 divers, 90 divers. And they had to come up with a plan on how to rescue these boys. And here, here's some pictures that I have on the next slide. And they were going through little like, like this, like, you know, little caves like this. And one of the areas one of the boys went through, said, went through it said it was like 16 inches. Like it was so small. They had to squeeze through it. And then when they rescued the boys, they had to do it like this. And they had to put them on the, I don't know what you call that, but they put oxygen on them. Like it was a rescue mission. It was wild. And one uh, a Navy SEAL from there died. And it was like this amazing mission. But they all had the same goal. We're not quitting until we get every single boy in this coach out of this cave. Took 18 days. You know what they did? They rescued every single boy and the coach. So when I, when I read the end of James, I think of this. Look at this guy going through the mud and the muck just to get these people he doesn't even know because that's what he does. That's what rescuers do. And James is pleading, saying, listen, there's people who you know who have wandered. Go get them. And I just imagine this picture. So I want to break down these two verses and just talk about them today. So the first thing I want to look at is, who is the wanderer? Who is that person? Well, let's see what James says. If one of you should wander from the truth. Other translations, which is a better translation, it says, if any one of you should wander from the truth. James tells us at any given point, the wanderer could be anyone. At any given point. It could be me, me. At any given point, it could be you. And it doesn't matter how much Bible you know. It doesn't matter how much you go to church, how many worship songs you know. At any given point, the warning is, any of us can wander. I, I know people from Bible college and professors and students who you would have said no more Bible than anybody that you would ever meet who have wandered. No one is safe from this. And James says, listen, I care about the wanderer. Recently, I, I had a conversation with someone, and, and they, they were criticizing. I don't know if you know this, but church people complain a lot, right? So they, they were complaining, and I was like, okay, great. And the complaint was basically this. You care far too much about people who wander and who are lost. And I took that as one of the greatest compliments of my life, right? Well, thank you for the great compliment, sir, right? And you know why we care so much about the lost? I want you to know this. If you're not the wanderer, if you're not lost, we love you. I love you. And, and I, don't, I don't lose sleep about you guys. I know some of you, man, rain or shine, snow, you're going to be here. You're going to be in Sunday school. You're going to bring your Bible. You're going to be good to go. Like I, you, it's part, you guys are doing it, what you need to do. I, I don't lose sleep about that. People I lose sleep about are, are the people who aren't here, who have wandered, who once were here. And the reason we, we talk so much about the loss and we talk so much about the people who have wandered isn't that we don't want you guys to grow, isn't that we don't want people to grow, it's that every wanderer has a name. And every lost person has a name, but every wanderer has a name. And this is going to get real. For some of you, the wanderer is your son and daughter. For some of you, the wanderer is your grandkids. For some of you, the wanderer is a spouse. For some of you, it's a, it's a sibling. For some of you, it's a coworker or a best friend. But every wanderer has a name. And James says every wanderer matters. And for some of you, 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 you brought your kids and your grandkids up in church their entire lives. And now they've wandered. 
And I want to make this real. There's this group called the Barna Group, and we've talked about it before. And they, they go out and they do research, and they conduct studies on Christianity in America. And I, I, every time they put out a study, I, I read it, and I look at it. And in 2019, before the pandemic hit, they, they put out this study on young adults, 18 to 29 years old. So essentially millennials. And this is what they found. That 64% of 18 and 29-year-olds who grew up in church tell Barna they have withdrawn from church involvement as an adult after having been active as a child or teen. 64%. The study gets a little worse. So it's like, uh, I'm not really good at math. What's that, 36% then continued in church? Uh, of the, those who continued in church, it was said that 10% of them, 10% of them would be considered what you call a resilient disciple. Meaning, they live out their faith. What Barna found, and it's alarming, it says they found that an entire generation of young adults have wandered. And then more recently, they came out with another study of the Christians in America, and they study and they, and they, they poll thousands and thousands of Christians. They found that of the Christians polled of all ages, this is what they found, that 10% of Christians have a biblical worldview. What's a biblical worldview? Well, they used a standard that was really, very minimum. Here's a couple things you had to believe. You had to believe that Jesus was the only way to salvation. You had to believe that sin was real, that heaven was real, that hell was real. You had to believe in a literal Satan. You had to believe that a great, uh, you know, salvation comes from grace alone. You had to believe that God created the world, that God was all-knowing, God was all-powerful, and that you had a personal responsibility to evangelize. Of all the Christians they interviewed across the board of all ages, they found that 10% of Christians have a biblical worldview. The wanderer matters. James would tell us, wake up. Wake up because there's generations of kids who grew up in church who are leaving. Wake up because there's, there's, there's Christians. He, he would tell us, Christians in America, you want to know why the church is struggling at times? Because of this. He says, wake up, there are people wandering among you and you aren't doing anything about it. So he, he pleads at the end of his letter, go after those who wander. And James is a pastor and he, and he loves people. And this is what's on his heart. At the end of his letter, he says, I, I know there's people, I know there's people who wander and, and I love them. And they don't wander because James is a bad pastor they don't wander because they move um, locations and services. They don't wander because they don't play the music they don't like. They wander so, because sometimes people wander. And, and the, you know, you can talk about sin and all this stuff, but sometimes people wander. And James is saying, listen, we got to come to grips with this. And, and I love this quote that I, I heard this week uh, that Tony Evans said. And he says, this is regards for every Christian, he goes, there are two options for Christians, regression or progression. You're either regressing or you're progressing. And there, there's no such thing as static Christianity. A Christian cannot shift life into neutral or idle for a while. You can move forward or you can slide backwards. If you're not moving forward, you are automatically drifting backwards. So our, the question is, is, as we talk about the wander, it could be any of us, are we moving forward or are we moving backwards? And who in our lives is moving forward instead of who's moving backwards instead of forward? So, and James is like, listen, we got we to pay attention to this. And, and so I want to talk about what, what does it look like to wander or what do you wander from? Well, there's typically three ways that people categorize wandering and, and there's three different ways. One, there's theologically. <clears throat> theologically is where you start to say things like this. Well, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know if Jesus is the only way. 
Or, ah, I know what the Bible says on sexuality, but it's 2021. Or, I know what the Bible says on sex and marriage, but come on. Like, I don't know if I believe that. That's theologically. And then there's morally. <clears throat> morally is a sense of, well, I know what God's standard uh, on this is, but I don't care. I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to wander. I mean, so you start to say, like, I know God says this, and, and the Bible says don't do this and that. I don't care, though. I'm going to start doing those things. I'm young. I only live once. I'm going to wander morally. <clears throat> and then there's relationally. And, and relationally is where they wander from the community, so where they wander from the church. And, and if you had to kind of guess or put everything in a category, that's where most people are right now in 2021. And because of COVID in last season, many people have wandered relationally. And this is where they stop, they stop t taking your invites. They stop talking to church about you. They stop taking your text. They don't, want to do, they don't want anything to do with the community for whatever reason. They have wandered. And, and so they're no longer part of the community. So there's theologically, morally, and relationally. And then it gets even more complicated because this doesn't happen. I think sometimes we picture this happen as one big sudden moment. It doesn't happen like that. You don't, you don't just, it doesn't like, hey, you wander one day. It's like little things that cause you to wander. And the definition of wandering is basically a gradual drifting from something. So when, when someone wanders, it's slowly over time. It's just like this. They one decision, one decision, one decision, one compromise, one sin, boom, boom, boom. It's not one big event. It just happens over and over and over again. And little by little, you start to wander. You start to wander away, and it's like, if you think about your life, it's like, hey, it's, you know, I, I skip church one day, one week, it gets easier next week, and the next week, and the next week, or I don't pray today, it gets easier to do the next day, and the next day, and the next day, right? It, it's just a slow, it's not the sudden thing, it's just slowly happening over time, sin by sin, compromise comp by compromise. And the author of Hebrews kind of warns us about this, and, and they say this in Hebrews, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. He's like, make sure that you're not living a life that is turning away from the living God. But encourage one another. Again, here it is. We're to encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. He's basically saying the same thing. Don't turn away from God. Encourage one another so we don't slowly, slowly harden our hearts to sin's, you know, deceitfulness, that we don't think sin is acceptable, right? And so it's a slow process. So now we know we, we, we kind of drift morally, theologically, and from, you know, from community, basically, relationally. Here's the steps that happens. And, and someone wrote these down. This is not original to me, but I thought it was so good. It's the progression of wandering. So here's how it happens. Going through the motions. It's, it's kind of taking faith for granted. It's going through the motions. It's doing things because I have to. There's no passion behind it. So you're just going through the motions in your faith. That's the first step. And then there's justification. Justification is when you start justifying why you're living a certain way. And you know you're not supposed to, but you start justifying it. And then third is resistance to the truth. It, to truth is basically like, hey, I know I shouldn't do this. Someone's called me out on this, but I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Isolation, that's withdrawing from the community. And then rebellion. Step five, it's like, hey, I don't care anymore, right? I, I'm full out rebellion. I don't care about any of this anymore. I don't care what God said. I'm going to do what I want to do. So each of these steps, they don't happen like suddenly, right? Again, it happens slowly. 
It starts going through the motions, all right? Now you know you're doing things wrong. You start justifying. And then, then you start saying, well, someone calls you out on that, and they start, well, resistance to truth. They just don't understand me. They're just a hater. They're just old school, right? And there's isolation. Well, if they're going to judge me, I'm just going to pull away. And then after you isolate, I'm just going to full out rebel because they don't get me anyways, right? And that's the process. So James says, listen, that can happen to any of us at any time. And all of you, why this is so important, all of you know a wanderer. And they may be someone who you love dearly. They may be someone who you raised for years and years and years. They may be a grandkid. They may be your best friend. I think back to youth group and, and all the kids who went to youth group with me and how little of them actually go to church now. I think of my own youth group. How little of them have grown up and are in church. They matter. And James is like, listen, it can happen to any one of us. So who's the wanderer? It's anyone. And then he says, it can be anyone, but if it's not you at this point, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring them back. I want you to bring them back. He says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back. Who, who does he say has a responsibility to bring them back? Is it the elders? Is it the minister? Is it the seminary? Is it the deacons? Who is it? Well, it's all of them, but it's also you. Everybody say you. You. It's you. He's like, you have a responsibility. You. Not just me. You. Every single one of us has a responsibility of going and getting the wanderers that we know in our lives. So James envisions the church as a rescuing family. He envisions us as those pictures that we saw, those rescuers, going through the mud and the muck of life and going and rescuing the wanderers in our life. James envisions you. Not just me. Not just the elders. Not just the staff. You. To go and be a rescuing family. And as he's saying these words, as he's writing these words, I imagine him sitting down and he's writing. I imagine what he's thinking about is his brother. <clears throat> his brother Jesus. And, and, and what Jesus said in a particular chapter, right? And he wouldn't have had the Bible, so he wouldn't say, well, Luke chapter 15. But he would have known what Jesus taught and heard some of the parables that Jesus taught. And there's this beautiful chapter in, in, in the Gospel of Luke. It's Luke chapter 15. It's one of my favorite chapters. It's one of the most famous chapters. And, and it starts off by Jesus is hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Basically, people that you wouldn't invite to your Thanksgiving, right? It's just kind of people that no one wanted to be around. And the Pharisees, the religious people, are giving him a hard time. And they're like, Jesus, why do you do this? And then Luke chapter 15, he tells three parables. He tells the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the famous parable of the prodigal son. And parables are these little short stories. But he starts off with the lost sheep. And basically, the lost sheep goes a little bit like this in Luke chapter 15. And he says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Right? Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he goes home and he throws a big party. The story continues. So here's what he says. He's like, imagine you have 99 sheep. Right? Wouldn't you leave the one? Wouldn't you leave the 99 to go get the one? Well, at this time, the audience would have been like, no. It's too risky to leave the 99. It's too risky to leave the 99. It doesn't make financially sense to lose 99 sheep for one sheep. But Jesus says, well, the Son of Man, he leaves the 99, not because he doesn't love them, because he knows they're going to be safe. He leaves the 99, 
And he goes after the one. Because the good shepherd goes after the one. And if you know anything about sheep, how do they drift? They slowly drift away. It's like, he, they, they, I don't know much about sheep, but I was reading and they said, I've really never touched a sheep, petted a sheep, I don't want anything to do with sheep. But uh, I was reading that they slowly just drift from the group, right? They'll see some green grass over there and they want to eat it and they'll baha their way over there, they'll eat it and before they realize it, they're separated from the entire group, right? Don't know how it happens, but it slowly happens. And Jesus says, well, the good shepherd goes and gets the one. Why? Because Jesus loves the wanderer. So now we got James, the brother of Jesus, writing at the end of his letter, go and rescue the wanderer. And it's almost a plea. And the plea is this, become more and more like Jesus and pursue others like he pursued you when you're lost. Become more and more like Jesus and pursue others like he pursued you when you were lost. Because all of us in some capacity of our life have been pursued by Jesus. So Jesus says, go be a rescuer. Go be a pursuer. And if you know them, because they have a name, if you know them, go and get them. If you know them, go get them. Is that easy? Go get, you know who they are? Go and get them. You're going to text them. You're going to call them. You're going you're to write letters to them. You're going to do whatever it takes to go and get them and talk to them and try the best of your ability to turn them back. If you've ever talked to, you know, I got a lot of friends in ministry and I talk to, if you, if you want to know what ministers kind of keep them up at night and it, it, when you struggle to sleep at night, it's when people wander. You know, I don't, I'm going to be honest and I don't want to take this the wrong way, I don't lose as much sleep over people who leave from one Bible-believing church to another. Why? Because ultimately we're in one big family, right? I don't lose, but those who essentially walk off the Jesus cliff, who walk away, Man, I, I, want, I, I lose sleep about that. It's restlessness, and, and it bothers me. And, and that's what James is saying. He's like, it bothers me that these people are, are doing this. So he's like, if, if you know who they are, go and get them. And what he's kind of saying is, is, like, is, there's this question. As a church, do we love each other enough not to give up on each other? Do we love each other enough not to give up on each other? Do we love each other enough to say, you know what, when someone wanders, we're going to go get them? We're going to do the best of our ability. Again, what do they wander? They wander from the truth. So it's not that they just leave because something doesn't make them happy, but they've literally wandered from the truth. He's like, do you love them enough to go get the wanderer? Do you love them enough? And he's like, and if you do, you're going, to take a, you're going to do a couple things. One, you're going to pray for them. And you're going to go to prayer. You're going to, you're going to go to God and say, God, make sure my heart is where it needs to be. Make sure I'm where I need to be so I can be in the right spot to go get the wander. If there's anything inside of me, God, that is going to get in the way of me rescuing the wander, remove it so I can go be the rescuer. And then you start praying for that person. God, soften their heart. God, allow their spirit to be open to what I'm about to say to them. So you pray for them. The second thing you do is you go to them in humility. Right? Do it in humility. Galatians says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, they're drifting away. You live by, you who live by the Spirit, restore that person gently. Don't go to them holier than thou. Don't go to them, you know, being a jerk. Don't go to them all nasty. Go to them gently and humbly, understanding that at any point that wanderer could be you. So go to them and try to restore them the way you would like to be restored. And then the final thing you do is you go to them and you don't shame them to change them. 
You got to speak truth. You can't have grace without truth. You got to go to truth and say, hey, man, hey, you know, what you're doing, how you're living, that's not what God wants for you. That's not, you know, you know better than that, but you're not shaming them. All of us know what shame feels like, and none of us likes to be shamed, but sometimes we go to these people who will wander and we shame them, and shame is far more likely to drive away than it is to bring them back. So you don't shame them to change them. And he goes, if you love them, go get them, pray for them, do it in humility, and don't shame them to change them. Most of all, don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. Far too often, I, I think, we give up on people too soon. We give up on the wanderer. We give up on the people who drifted away. We say things, well, they know better. They were raised in this house, a, a godly house, and they should know that they shouldn't do this. Or, you know, we told them if they did this, this was going to happen, so it's their fault anyways. Or, they, they, you know, you, we make all these excuses but do we love them enough? Do we love each other enough to go get each other when we wander? And we have to because Jesus never gives up on us. So we should never give up on anyone. And, and I love how the Message Bible paraphrases it. It says this. It says, you know, my dear friends, if any of you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Don't write them off. Go after them. And when I think of this, I think of one of my favorite TV shows. I call it like my uh, old man guilty pleasure. I like the show American Pickers. Anybody like that show? I love it. Mike and Frank, like, they're a little strange, but they, I love it, right? What they do is they travel across America, and they go to people's houses, and many of these people are hoarders, but they got like this old um, rusty... I don't want to call it junk. Let's call it treasure, right? And they got these things that no one else wants to buy, but they see it, and they're like, man... This is beautiful. And, and it can be like a motorcycle from the 1940s, and it's all rusted. It doesn't have a speedometer. The motor's all locked up. It doesn't have any tires. And Frank is, or Mike's like, I want that. I see beauty in that when no one else sees beauty in it. And he wants it. And they'll pay a bunch of money. Like, he loves knuckleheads. You know, uh, not knuckleheads. Yeah, flatheads. All right, sorry. And he loves them. And he goes, and he tries to find them over and over and over and over again. And he will pay top dollar because he sees beauty where everybody else sees junk. Right? And that's what the show's about. They see beauty when everyone else sees junk. And when I think about that, that's how Jesus sees, sees us. The world sees junk, Jesus sees beauty. And what James is saying, when everybody else has given up on the wander, when everybody else ha has given up on, and they said there's too much junk in their life, there's too much going on, see the beauty when everybody else wants to run. Go rescue when everybody else runs. Go rescue when everybody else quits. Go be a rescuer. And he's like, have this mindset that I give up my right to turn away from the wanderer. That you no longer have the, the right, James is saying, to sit in these chairs and go to this church and see, and see someone who maybe used to sit next to you and say, I'm done with them. And we're all guilty of it, myself included. He's like, we lose our right to say that. It's like, don't give up on the wanderer. Why? And he gives us the why, and it's so, it's so awesome. Here's the why. Here's why we do this. God can use you to change someone's eternal destiny. Who? You. He can use me, he can use you. God can use you to change someone's eternal destiny. In verse 20, he, he says this, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Whoever turns, that word turn is so important, whoever turns them, 
It's this idea of literally turning around. It's the idea of repentance. Uh, Repentance is turning from your life of sin to the will of God. Remember, the wanderer has turned from the will of God, and whoever goes and rescues this person turns them back. What's that mean? It means that God will use you and I as instruments, as agents of change, to turn someone back. That if we do it in prayer, with humility, we do it in truth and love, if we don't shame them to change them, God will use us as instruments to turn people back. Not that we will save them. God does the saving. But God can use us to get people back on the right track. God can use us to turn people from their sinful ways. God can use you and me to rescue the wanderer. And what do we turn them back from? Death. And cover a multitude of sins. Jesus says eternity is at stake. James says eternity is at stake. And God can use you as an instrument to turn someone from the, the road of death back to the road of life. So what's the goal in all this? The goal is this. We want to convert people, turning them from their sin, in order that they may be saved. And in being saved, their sins will be forgiven. That's the goal. James says, why you turn the wanderer, you go after the wanderer, you go after a loss, is to convert people or turn people back. Turning them from their sin in order that they may be saved by God and in being saved that their sins will be forgiven. And it all comes back to love. That's why it comes back to love. Do we love each other enough to do this? Because the most loving thing you can do for someone you love is bring them back into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. If they have wandered and you know they have wandered and you love them, the most loving thing you can do, and you may fail. You're going to fail at times. There, there, there may be times where they don't come back. But you've got to love them enough to at least try. You've got to love them enough to go out there and try to turn them back. You've got to love them enough to allow God to use you to be an agent of change, to be a rescuer. Because the most loving thing you can do for someone you love is bring them back into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't save them. God can only save them. Jesus can only save them, but God can use you as an instrument on that, that, that path of, of turning them back. So I want to end this entire series with this one line, and we'll end like this. The book of James, I think, can be summarized in one line. What's true of Jesus should be true of you. As followers of Jesus, what's true of Jesus should be true of you. And Jesus loves the one. Jesus loves people. Jesus loves the lost. So we should too. Jesus leaves the 99 and he goes for the one. And it's not that he doesn't love the 99. And he tells the 99, just like in the the prodigal son, he goes, I'll always love you. You've been faithful and I have seen you. You have been one of the 99. You will be blessed for that. You will have a reward for that. But I love your brother and sister who has wandered as well. So you've got to ask, who is, the, who is the wanderer in your life? Who do you need to go turn back? Who do you need to go at least try to turn back? Because we need to be a church that goes after the one, that goes after the wanderer. Why? Because we believe the lost can be found and the wanderer can be restored through Jesus. James believed that. 
And he says, as Christians, believe that the lost can be found and the wanderer can be restored through Jesus. And so maybe you're here today and you're a wanderer. And maybe you just, you're here because someone made you come here. You're here because it, whatever reason you're here, right? You thought we were doing a Christmas series, so you wanted to come for Christmas music. And you got tricked into coming. That, that doesn't start until next week. I don't know why you're here. But we're glad you're here. And I want you to know this. That if you have wandered, God will go through any distance, any lanes, through any garbage, through any pain, through any addiction, through any brokenness, through any sin, through any anxiety and depression to get to you. And he doesn't give up on the wanderer. But if you're here today and you have not wandered, if you love them enough to go get them, show me is what James would say. If you love them enough to go get them, show me. Because Jesus loved you enough to come and die for you. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for the words of James. This, this call to be rescuers, this call not to give up on people, just like Jesus never gives up on us. And though we were broken and we were sinful and the world was sinful and broken, Jesus still came to this world to die for each and every one of us, knowing that we were sinful and broken, God. But, but Jesus died anyways. So Father, if there's anyone here today who needs to have a conversation of what it means to turn away from sin and turn away from that lifestyle, God, we would love to meet him by the double doors in, in the back of the room here and have a conversation about turning to God for the first time. But Father, I also pray that those of us who have been faithful, those of us who are the 99, that we don't give up on the one, that we don't give up on the lost, we don't give up on the wanderer, that we never lose hope in people because God, you have called us to be rescuers. We will never turn our backs on people you love. So God, please give us a spirit of rescuers give us a spirit not to give up give us the spirit to go and love and turn our brother and sister back we love you so you name we pray amen it's been great hanging out with you guys today i hope that message challenges you and encourages you today we would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8 30 or 10 45 on sunday or to find out more information about rsec you can always go to the rsec family app or follow us on any social media platform at RSCC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.